0: Ferris B'nai Torah presents The Shmooz, an engaging and motivating Musr and Hashkafa series that deals with real life issues. We're going to begin now with the Megillah, Megillah Sester, Perak Aleph. Before we actually begin, just a quick word of introduction there's tremendous usodos within the Megillah and let me begin with one observation the first observation that any child realizes is that you will not be able to find the name Hashem in the Megillah if you ever tried this you go into a second grade class and, and uh, challenge them if you're substituting, challenge them tell them, uh, okay fellas the first first boy in the class who finds the name of Hashem in the Megillah gets a $10 bill obviously you know you'll be able to keep your $10 well in your pocket because the name of Hashem does not appear in the entire Megillah the Gemara explains to us, the reason for this is because Megillus Esther is actually a play on the word Esther from Hester ponim, that in the Golas, in the exile Hashem, while Hashem constantly does miracles for us, it's always the Hester ponim, it's always hitting. And in fact, all of the various nisim that Hashem did with, throughout the time in the Megillah are always behind the scenes so that you could look at the events as just a palace intrigue, just an interesting event with Ahasuerus, with Haman, with Esther, and just strange coincidences that occur. But the reality is that it's Hashem behind the scenes running the show. The Megillah, which was written by Esther and Mordechai Baruch HaKodesh, was written with the understanding of teaching the Yisrael, this you saw so that Hashem works behind the scenes. Let's begin with pasuk. Allah. the first pasuk begins. It was in the days of Achashverosh. Who Achashverosh? He is Achashverosh, Hamolach Mehoduvad Kush, who reigned from Hodu to Kush, Sheva ve-esrim Umea Medina, 127 medinas. Many observations on the first pasuk. The first point that's worth understanding is Rashi, the comments on Who Achashverosh? Typically, people misunderstand who Achashverosh was. If you'll ask a young child learning the Megillah for the first time, they assume Ahasuerus was a Malach tipe, she was a foolish king, etc. Rashi comments openly, who Ahasuerus means, who Ahasuerus, who Berisho, he was in his wickedness, mitchilos from beginning to end. He was a wicked individual. Do not make a mistake, says Rashi. He was neither a simpleton, nor a fool, he was a rusher from beginning to end, and as the story unfolds, we'll see more and more exactly the extent of his rishis. In any case, the Grot tells us interestingly, that this Ahasuerus was actually the second Ahasuerus in history. We're told by Rashi that the time period that we know over here is the end of the 70 years of Golas. The Beis Hamikdash was destroyed. We were sent into exile, this is Bavel. Bovel. For 70 years we sat in the exile in Bavel, And at the end of this time period, Ahasuerus reigns. Now he is not the first Ahasuerus. There was an Ahasuerus previously who had a son Dayovish. Dayovish actually allowed the base of to be rebuilt. This Ahasuerus took over from Korosh, who was the king of the Persian Empire. And he now begins his rulership in this time period... And he sends out his, we'll see in a moment, what happens in, within the third year of his melucha. Now, one thing that's very important to note, that throughout the story we're going to see the unfolding hidden observations of Hashem's hashkacha. One of the amazing Ashkachas is the fact that he ruled over 127 medinos. The Gemara tells us that there were four men who were slated to rule over the entire Kipa, the entire inhabited planet Earth. One of these men was Achashverosh. And as a matter of fact, previous to the beginning of the Megillah, the Megillah opens up in the third year of his Melucha, third year of his reign. Prior to this he had been king over the entire planet. And when the Megillah opens up he now rules over 127 Medinos, the Megillah Starim, the Nesivas, on the Megillah tells us that actually this should have been a time of mourning for him. He had previously ruled over the entire planet which includes another over 100 Medinos. Almost half of his melucho, almost half of his monarchy had been taken from him and he was only left with 127 medinos. He should have been by all rights in absolute depression. And yet he made a mishta, he made a party. The Miguel Storm tells us, the reason for this is because he took this as a sign of divine providence. What had happened was, he had ruled over the entire earth. Rebellions began and he lost almost half of his monarchy, yet he found an amazing coincidence. Every single province in which, province in which Jews lived remained under his control. It was almost as if you could tell. If there were Jews left in that city-state area, it was left within his Medina. If there were no Jews, it was taken from him. It was like a laser was cutting out his Malucha. So by the time it was done, he was left with 127 Medinos, only half of the world, but within that half were every single Jew alive. He took this as a sign with Simon Shemayim that Hashem was allowing him to kill the Jewish people. Why is this? Because we know that from the time of the first exile, Hashem always scanners the Jewish people amongst different kings. So that if one king turns wicked, that king decides to kill the Jews in his region, there'll still be a as a plate, and there'll be some Jews left in another reign. Historically, that's what happened. Throughout history, you'll find the Jews were exiled, but there'll always Jews spread amongst different kingdoms. He took this as a sign, the Hashkacha, that allowed all of the Jews to reign under one king's rulership. He took as a sign of Hashkacha that Hashem wanted to destroy his nation and was giving it over to him. In any case, at this point, he rules over the 127 Medinos from Hodu Vakush. It's a machlokis where the Hodu are very close and he ruled over them with an iron fist or Hodu are very far. In any case, he was a very powerful king and he now rules over these 127 Medinos. But Yomi in those days, when the king Ahasuerus sits on his on his royal throne, that was in Shushan Abira. Now, obviously, because this Megillah was written Berochah Kodesh, there's no reason for any extra words. And every time you'll see a word an expression in the Megillah, you know and understand is it's telling us something. The Gra is bothered by the fact that we don't have to know that his Kisei Malchus was in Shushan Abirah. Shushan was a capital, It's very nice. His throne was in Shushan, that's very nice. Why does the public have to tell us? The Gros says, actually, there's a very interesting lesson from this. And that is, that historically the kings of the world were jealous of the throne of Shlomo HaMelech. Shlomo HaMelech had this gigantic platform type of throne that was very intricate and amazingly complex. What would happen is, he would walk up to it, and he would walk to the first level, two animals would stick out their paws, he would step on it, and that would lift him to the next level. Then two other animals would lift their paws, bring him out, he would step onto it and lift him up. When he got to the top of these seven steps of animal after animal, session after session, he would sit down onto the throne, another animal would take the, the crown and place it on his head, another animal would release certain besomim, certain fragrances, and this throne was such an amazing scene to witness the king sitting on the throne that all of the kings of the exiles, all of the kings of the various nations were jealous of it. Now, if you remember historically there was one king who tried to sit on that throne, that was the king of Egypt, he became known as Paro the Lame. Because when he first stepped onto the first level, one of the animals, understanding that it's not Shlomo Melech, struck his leg. And from that point on, this paro was not able to walk without a limp. Therefore, none of the kings would dare sit on the throne. Now, this throne was actually now under the dominion, under the rule of Ahashverosh. However, he dare not sit on it. What he did instead was he erected his own throne. He hired the greatest artisans of the time to try to duplicate in some way the throne of Shlomo Melech. However, they did not come within within miles of the sophistication and the beauty of it, but they did make for him a major, major throne. However, these artisans lived in Shushan. Once this huge throne, which is not just a throne, but an entire platform, a very large, took up almost a whole room, once it was completed, the problem they found was they could not transport it. They couldn't transport it out of Shushan because it was too big. So because of this, he actually moved the seat of monarchy from Bovel, where it was, to Shushan. Shushan Habira was not the capital of the kingdom of Ahashverosh. The capital had been in Bovel. He actually moved his capital city to Shushan... Because he was supposed to be. And I will soon see that this was a major, major change in Ashkacha. Why? Because who were the people who lived in Shushan? It happens to be the Sanhedrin, Mordechai, and most of the Jews who had been exiled from Bovel now lived in Shushan. And through the various Ashkacha of building his throne and actually changing his seat of monarchy to Shushan, it ended up that he, the king, now lived in Shushan which was never where he used to be, but now was where he resided, together with the Sanhedrin, together with the rest of the Jews. In any case, during this time period, when he sits on his throne, the next passage says, in the third year of his reign, he made a party of to all of his servants and his slaves. Khelk Parasumadai, the ruling the offices of Parasum Madai Now Parasum was in fact his power base. He was the Persian king. Khorash was the king of Par of Paras and Madai, the Persian Empire. He ascended that throne from Khorash. for the servants and the offices of the Medina Slafanov. Now again by all rights he should have been depressed he should have been very very broken but he made this party in this year in the third year of his reign now the purpose of this party is very very important actually ironically enough Bovil had been Bovel had been at war with Persia for many many years now what actually happened was Netzar destroyed the base of Migdush. 70 years prior to this time Nebuchadnezzar was the Melech of Bovel. Bovel at the time was the ruling power, the area of Iraq, Iran, somewhere in that area. Bovel was the monarch of the, was effectively the ruling power of the earth. Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man alive. Nebuchadnezzar, after destroying the base of this reigned for another 23 years. But after he died, there was a major war in the time of, in the time of Balshetzar, There was a major war between the Persian Empire, Parzimadai Empire, and Nebuchadnezzar's remaining empire, the Bavel. What happened was, the Persian forces won, and Achashveirosh, who took over from Korosh, effectively became the ruler of the earth. Not just the Persian Empire, but because Persia had vanquished the Babylonian, the Bavel Empire as well, he now ruled over the earth. However, he was faced with a major problem. Because it was such a wide area, at one point the entire earth and even now 127 medinos it was so wide and there were many people that were loyal to Bovel still he had a problem really controlling and ruling the full area completely this party was actually part of a major political coup to establish him as complete ruler over the 127 medinos according to the grub and other morphium this party was not just an invitation to the various offices of Parva to come, this was actually his wedding party. According to the Grah and other Mufarshim, he married Vashti at this Mishter. Vashti, who was actually a daughter of Balshetzar, thereby a granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar, was the heir to the Babylonian throne. She was a princess, who was an heir to the throne of Bavel. What Ahasuerus was doing by this move was marrying a woman who would join together the Paras and Mandai forces together with the Babylonian forces, thereby solidifying his monarchy. Now, it happens to be, coincidentally, that Vashti was one of the most beautiful women alive, but it doesn't seem apparent that that's the sole reason he married her. More importantly, she was the heiress to the Bovel dynasty, and what he did now was solidify his power base. No longer could any of the People loyal to Bovel, to the Babylonian monarchy, say, we don't accept your rulership. Because by marrying Vashti, he wed together the two Bovel and Parasamadai kingships. And this wedding feast was the sign that he was fully, completely in power. And he made a huge party. The Pesach tells us, in fact, that the party lasted for quite a while. The Pesach says, Pusuk, dal baroso es malchuso. At the party he showed Oshir, wealth, kavod malchuso, the glory of his kingship, veshekar tvers gudaloso, and the glory of his greatness, yomim rabim, many days, shmonim Umaas yom, 180 days. This party was the last 180 days, half a year. Now, the Grot tells us, if you look at the Pesach, there are a few extra words here. The Pasak uses six expressions. It says, "Oshikvod Mahuso, the great wealth of his glory of his kingdom, Ekar Six words says the girl, These six words are very telling. Achishverosh was merited a tremendous, tremendous treasure house. Nuvka when he was king of the, effectively the most powerful man on the planet, had amassed an untold amount of wealth. The Gemara tells us that it, it comprised 1,008 store houses of treasures a huge almost infallible amount of wealth before he died he buried those treasures he was afraid that he would be, they would be taken from him so along the Nahar Paras or along the Euphrates River he buried them much of that wealth was discovered by Achashverosh some of it later we'll see was actually discovered by Haman but in any case he discovered the 1008 treasure houses of Nebuchadnezzar because, or actually whether it was he or Korush that he inherited them from, in any case, Ahasuerus had a huge wealth, and each day he showed six of those storehouses to the people of the party. For 180 days straight, six times 180 ends up being the 1,008. Each day he showed off another one of the treasure houses of his wealth for everyone to come and see. The next passage tells us, At the completion of these days, Assahamelach lhullaam and the Ms Abira, the king made for all of the nation, Holam, all of the nation who are found in Shushana Birah, the Megadolvat from great to small, Mishteh Shiva Jami may party for seven days, Bechhat Ginas Bisanamelach, in the courtyard of the king's garden. Now the Gomar tells us who is the arm? All the pasuk tells us is that at the completion of these days, the king made a party for the all ha'am, all of the nation that are found in Shushan Abira. The gemara tells us this am refers to Mordechai and the Sanhedrin. Basically, Shushan was effectively what you would call the borough park of the Madai dynasty. The Sanhedrin, the whole am were invited to this party. And as a matter of fact, the Megillah Storm tells us he had a very particular aim and purpose in his party. Why did he first invite the 180 day party all of the par- Saras on Monday and only now does he invite the Am, the nation, Hanimsa Mishushan Abira? His intention was one point. His intention was to get the Kleistral to sin. At this party, we'll soon see, he did everything in his power to get the Jewish nation to sin, but the whole purpose of this party was to invite the Bnei Yisrael and particularly the from great to small. He wanted the gedolim down to the lowest Jew. He wanted all at this party because again, this is all part of his plot which we'll see in just a minute as it unfolds. Then the Pesach tells us as follows. The Pesach tells us it begins describing the different ornaments that were on at the, at the party. There was various tapestries that were purple. Achuz Bechavli boots that were held back with linen sashes. The process tells the various tapestries on the walls. Va'argamon in purple wool. A'gil kesef on pillars of silver. Vamude sheish in pillars of, uh, pillars made of marble. Mitos, Zahav, golden beds. the Vekesef, some made of silver. Ritzbad Bad, Vashesh on a floor of marble, different types of marble, different types of tiles. Now, obviously, the passage is telling us something very important. The question is, why do we need to know the different tapestries? Why do we have to know that they were argamon, purple wool held back by boots? Says the Megillah Sterm, the is on the Megillah, the Megillah Sterm says, is actually a very, very important part of the Purim story that's being revealed to us here. Ahasuerus was a bona fide anti-Semite. But he was very sophisticated in his anti-Semitism. He understood that there was no way that he could kill the Jewish nation. Despite the fact that he had a clear sign in Hashemayim, the 127 Medinas contained all the Jews. Despite the fact that he was a wicked man, he dared not to kill the Jews because he saw what happened to people prior to him. He recognized that if he kills the Jews, Hashem will kill him. His plot here was to get the Jews to sin. Get them to do a sin so that they won't be on the same madriga that they were previously, and thereby he'll be able to then kill them out. His first plot was to, in this Chatzar Ginas Bisan within the courtyard, to be Mamid Zonos. He brought forth various prostitutes, the idea being to try to get the Klein to sin. The problem he had, though, was he knew that the main part of the Klein Israel that he's going to get are the Sanhedrin, the Gedolim. The problem is that the Sanhedrin is not going to be involved with Zonos, they're not even going to look. Hence, he put up these ornate tapestries, these very complex and sophisticated tapestries, so that the Chachamim will look, at least they'll look up, they'll see something. Additionally, he put on the seats, shatnis. Argaman gaman means he put wool and linen. Now, there is at least an Isidur abundant to sit on wool and linen. He did everything in his power to entrap the Jewish people. We'll soon see that he did everything to make them do a sin, but not just a sin to get them to sin in a way that they will be held responsible. The next pasuk tells us, Vashkot beklei zahav. He d- d- gave them to drink with golden vessels. Vechilim shown shonim, and he gave vessels from different vessels. V'yain malchus rav ki'adamelach, and the wine of the rav, the, the wine of the malchus was vast, was very mar- varied in accordance to the wealth of the king. The Gemara tells us that at this party he was showing his extraordinary wealth. You were served a goblet, you drank from that golden goblet one time, and that goblet was not brought back to the party. If you were at the seven-day party, each of the seven days you were given to drink, each day you were given to drink from other goblets, not from the ones that had been used before, meaning he was showing an awesome, awesome amount of wealth. In any case, you'll note the pasuk says e shonim, and we read this in the trop of, of Eicha. When the when the Ba'kori reads it, he reads e shonim. The Gemara tells us the reason why we have the minhag to read it in, in the tune of Eicha is because the Gemara tells us that these refer, these Kalim shonim actually refer to the Kalim of the Beis Hamikdash. Achashverosh came to this party wearing the begadim of the big day Kuhuna, using the Kalim of the Beis Hamikdash. Which was something remarkably bold and brazen on his part. Why is that? Because in history, this was something that kings didn't dare do. We know that when Nebuchadnezzar, before Nebuchadnezzar actually destroyed the base of 70 years earlier, Yermiah said a nevuah. Yermiah got up and said a nevuah that for 70 years the Jewish people will be in Gaulas. However, after 70 years Hashem will redeem them and take his revenge. Balshetzer, who was the king who ruled after a while after Nebuchadnezzar, made a certain calculation. He made a calculation that the 70 years of the prophecy of Yeramir were up. They counted the 70 years, including the 23 years that Nebuchadnezzar reigned, including Evil Mordoch, and at a certain point during the reign of Balshetzer, he calculated that the 70 years were up, the Jewish people were not victorious, and he... Was now the ruling party. Belshazzar well, was now the monarch. He was ruling on the Babylonian throne. He was the most powerful man alive, and he calculated that the seven years were up. At that party, that night, he decided to make a major, bold move. What had happened was he was engaged in a war with Parthamondai, and he got the news from the battlefront that the Parthamondai forces had lost, his forces had won, he called together all of his Sarim, all of the people of his Medina, he brought them to a table, and at this table he shows up wearing the big day kahuna, using the cane of the base of Why? Because he knew the prophecy of Yomir was not going to come true, he felt bold enough to do it. Now if you remember from Daniel, this is the famous handwriting on the wall. At this party, they're all sitting there. And an apparition, a, s- a form of a hand, comes out and on the wall writes four words. Now you know the expression, I see the handwriting on the wall, that's where this expression comes from. These, All these dignitaries see this huge hand writing four words on the wall. The problem was though, that the words were in Aramaic, but the letters were Hebrew. So the, they were drunk see this unbelievable apparition, cannot read the words, and they start panicking. Bal on his throne, and the rest of the Babylonian dignitaries are panicking. They quickly call for Daniel. Now, Daniel was an advisor to the king. Obviously, he could read Hebrew. And they asked Daniel, what does it say? Daniel says, it says, Mene, Mene tekal uparke, Weighed, weighed, measured and divided, meaning what you've done, Bal it's been weighed, weighed, it's been measured, divided, your kingdom is to be taken from you, you will no longer reign. We find out that that night, actually what happened was his forces were then vanquished in battle, the Persian Empire re-attacked, they won the battle, his entire house was killed out, Bal and his entire house, the only one left from that entire house was Vashti, a young princess. She was the only one left from the Babylonian Empire, and this is the one that Ahasuerus married. Now, Ahasuerus, the Gemara tells us, made his own cheshbon. He said, Bal Shetzar made his cheshbon The seven years, were up, and he made a mistake. He was taught, he made an error. I made the judgment, and I didn't make a mistake. Ahasuerus counted at this point, he marries Vashti, solidifies his reign, understands that the seven years of humor are fully up, he marches out at this party wearing the big day kahuna, using the kalim, the shown shonim, and he appears at this party. Now, the Gura tells us, that, in fact, he too deserved death. Just like Bal should have died, so too he should have died at this party as well. However, Hashem wanted him alive, and rather something else came out because of this. The actual decree against Vashti came about. The Sultan was given permission to dance. The, the Gemara says the Sutton was makatrik, given permission to dance. And the Sultan was given permission to control the events. And from here, the Vashti was actually killed. The next passage goes on to say, Vashtiya Enones, the drink at this party at the seven day party was Kedas Enones, no one was forced. Kiken because so has the king decreed, Akoral Beso, on all the people in charge of his house, La kirison Kirson ish to do like the will of each and every man. What Ahashvairus was doing at this party was something very crafty. Again, his main objective in the seven day party was to bring the am, the Jewish nation, to sin. However, to accomplish this, he had to abolish an old Persian minog. There had been a Persian minog for many years old that anyone invited to a Persian party had to drink a goblet. This was a very large goblet, and you had to drain the contents of this goblet. The Persians were party animals, and it was unbecoming, if I'm going to be at a party and I'm going to be drunk and you're not, I'll feel badly. So the rule was, everyone had to drain this large goblet. And as an aside, one of the wealthiest men in Persia was the sar, the, uh, the, the person who was in charge, the Sar the man who went around with the goblet. because. If you were a self-respecting individual, and let's say you didn't want to get drunk or you got sick from getting drunk, the only way you could not drain the goblet was to, to when the goblet would come, the sarmash would bring you, you'd have to pay him off, you'd have to pay him money under the table. One of the wealthiest men was of Sarmashka from collecting these bribes. In any case, at this particular party, Ahasuerus abolished the Persian men and said, there will be no cup going around, if you don't want to drink, you don't have to drink. Why did he do this? Because Ein Ones... He wanted no ta'ina of Ones. He wanted no man to be drunk and be able to say, yes, we sinned at the party, but we were drunk. He wanted Hashem to be fully angry at the Jewish people. If they sin, it's going to be willingly. I did to make them drink. I did to make them drunk. Therefore, ain't onis, There's no tur Ones, and they'll be held accountable. Kiritzon lasot, kiritson ish the Gemara tells us. The end of the passage says, to do like the will of each man. Kiritzon mornachai, at this party you could do as you wanted you wanted to keep kosher you could ask the butler I want this particular shechita only glat kosher hasidish she it was done a butler would come along and say what would you like tell me the food you like tell me the way you would like it prepared and again, there was no onus, there was no taina, that you forced us to eat tray food. If you wanted not to eat tray food, you didn't have to eat food. You could eat whatever you wanted, you could eat the most kosher food, you could eat not kosher food. It was lasus kirson each each, to do like the will of each man. The next passage tells us, gan vashtiyamalka Mishte noshim. also made a Mishte noshim, also made a party for the women, base malchus at the king's throne at the king's palace, to the king Ahasuerus. Now the grot tells us that this too, was part of the Ashkocha of Hashem. There was no reason, for Vashti to make such a party. The reason Ahasuerus made the original party, the 180 day, was as a wedding feast, and maybe to solidify his malchus, to get people to find favor, for him to find favor in their eyes. The second day, the second party, the seven day party, was to bring the Jews to sin. But there was no motivation for Vashti to make such a party, and not just to make such a party, to make it base malchus melech. She made it mamish right next to the king's palace. There was no reason for it. However, the Gemara tells us it was because of her party that she ended up dying. Why? Because the next pasuk tells us, on the seventh day, when the king's heart was glad with wine, Amala Muhammad he said to Mahuman Big Sa Khavana Big Sav Avasa Zay he said to these seven people, Shiva Sarisim, the seven officers, Hamashar Sim and Asp al who serves the King Al Khashvirush. The Gomar tells us what happened was everyone sitting around on the seventh day of the party, they hear the women's voices from nearby. And as soon as that happens, the conversation turns. One man says, the women of Madai are the most beautiful. Another man says, what do you mean the women from my province are the most beautiful? There's a whole makhluk is going by, which are the most beautiful? At which point, Achashverosh says, what are you talking about? My my wife is neither from Paris nor from Madai, from any of your cities, and she is by far the most beautiful woman in the world. At which point, he told, Achashverosh told these seven advisors, as the next passage tells us, Yulaf, to bring Vashti and Malka in front of the king, wearing the crown. To show the nation and the princes as her beauty. Because she was beautiful. Now, in fact, she was beautiful. But he told these seven advisors to bring the queen wearing her crown, says the Gemara, her crown and her crown only. He asked that Vashti and Malka be brought naked to the party. Now, let's understand the girl makes an observation. This is a very foolish move. First of all, he's embarrassing his wife. This is royalty. His wife. To ask his wife to prance naked in front of all of the dignitaries, you can imagine asking the Queen of England come in stark naked. It's a the termalchus. It's a very, very foolish thing for him to request. Number two, politically, it's dumb. He marries this woman to solidify his power base, to join together the Persian Empire, together with the Bavl Empire. Then what does he do? He invites her in in the most derogatory, embarrassing manner, makes her walk stark naked like a zoner, like a prostitute in front of the entire part of What he's doing is he's enraging all of those people who he tried to appease by marrying her. Obviously a dumb thing. Says the girl, this is part of the Ashkacha. Hashem put a mishagas into his head. The Sultan was given permission to dance. And he made this Mashugan request to bring in the queen naked. Passogir Bez says, The queen Vashti refused to come with the Dvar Melch, that was in the hand of the servants. The king became very angry. And his anger raged within him. Says the Gemara Vashti would have come, despite the fact that it was an embarrassment to her despite the fact that it was a major busha, she would have come stark naked to the party, because Afi, Lave, Devar, Veira, she too had a mind getting the Jewish people to sin, and if the Jewish people would have seen her, they might have had Hurim Royim, and she would have gone along with this. However, there's a machlokas, whether she was parcha Saras, whether she came out with Saras or in fact she grew a zanav, she grew a tal, and whatever the case, she refused to come. Now ironically, the Gemara tells us, that the reason why this happened to her was a midah k'neged midah. Because she made the Jewish girls come out naked, it was decreed that she should have to appear naked. Because she made the Jewish women work on Shabbos who were in her employ, she was decreed that this day, which was Shabbos, that she would have to come out. But she refused, not because she had any necessary problem with coming out that way, but she was so embarrassed about the way she looked that she refused, but not only did she refuse, if you note, the Pusik says two expressions. He was very angry. And his anger flamed within. Says the Gra, it wasn't just that she refused to come, but she actually sent the following message. My grandfather's stable boys, the people who used to watch the horses for my, for Balshetz and my grandfather, drank and never made such a disgusting request. You drink and you act like a fool. Why don't you grow up? She sent divrei beziona. She sent words of embarrassment and deep pain. The reason why the king was so angry, was not just that she refused. He received back this igarez, these words of extraordinary embarrassment. And when she received them, when he received them, he was furious with her for having said this. We're going to stop now, even though it's in the middle of parakel, we'll stop now and resume at the next session. Pesach we'll resume here from Pesach gimel the Melach Achashveri said to the chachamim yo itim those who know the times, ki-kein d'var because that is the word of the king, let kol das-vedin, in front of all of those who know das-vedin. Now, this posik is explaining to us what's happening. The Graw is very clear that Ahasuerus had a tremendous dilemma. On the one hand, he was just sent divrei bizonos from his wife. His wife not only wouldn't come, as he demanded, but she sent back this igaris embarrassing him. So, obviously, he had to do something. But the bigger problem that Ahasuerus had was he did not want to kill eh, Vashti. And the Graw explains he had two motivations. First of all, she was a beautiful woman. There was no one who matched her beauty. But more significantly, he married Vashti for political reasons. And as we said before, if he would now kill Vashti, basically not only would he make himself politically worse, he would have undone all of the good favor that he gained by the Bo- Babylonian kings. And additionally, he might cause an uprising against his melucha. However, the problem he faced was he can't just ignore her statement. He can't just ignore the Bejonas she sent to him. The problem was, what does he do? So he's looking for a way to save face. He's looking for a clever move out. So he goes to the Chachamim Yodei Ha'itim. Now the Gemara tells us, who are the Chachamim Yodei Ha'itim? Excuse me, who are the, the Chachamim? It says the Gemara, these are the Chachamim. This is Mordechai and the Sanhedrin. Now keep in mind, this man, as most kings during this time period, was a major anti-Semite. He hated Jews. He's Berisho Mitzchilos yet he kept the Chachamim around for advice because from ancient times, the kings knew that the truly wise people were the Chachamim, and they used to turn to the Chachamim for advice. So he turned to the Chachamim and asked advice, what do I do in this case? Now the Gemara Megillah tells us that the Chachamim immediately had a major dilemma. They said to themselves as follows, if we tell him to kill his wife, What's going to happen? He's going to wake up tomorrow morning out of his drunken stupor. He'll remember that we told him to kill his wife. And he'll kill us for having killing his wife. Elamai, maybe we'll tell him not to kill his wife. He'll get so furious at us now because we're not chas on his COVID. We're not afraid of his honor. He'll kill us. Therefore, the Chalmim recognized they couldn't say anything. So their only choice was, and this is what they said to them, they said to Achash as follows. From the time that the base of Mikdash is destroyed, we've ha- not had a clear nevuah. We no longer have a clear sight. We cannot tell you. And in fact, the Chachamim did not answer. Hence, the next pasuk goes on to say what in fact happened. The next pasuk reads, the ones who were close to him, Karshana, Malchus." All of a sudden, now Achishvei is turning to the Persian advisors. Because in fact the Chachamim, the, the Rabbanon would not answer. So having no choice, he turns to these seven advisers, the Roe HaMelech HaChashverosh, the seven Persian advisors, to know what to do. The postic, next Pasik says, Kedas malasos b'malka Vashti, in order to know what to do with the Queen Vashti, Allah also saw Ismama Hamelacha because she didn't do the request of the Melacha Khashvarosh, in the hand of the officers that brought it. Basically, He's asking the same question, but says the Grof. if you note, he says the word, Bamalka Vashti, in the Queen Vashti. The Groh says, why is he stressing the word Queen Vashti? Because she wasn't just a queen, because of marrying Ahasuerus, she was the Babylonian heir. And that's why he stressed to them, I, I can't just kill her, she's the heir of the Babylonian, I'm sorry, the, the, right? the Babylonian dynasty. So what do we do with this woman? Next passage says, Vayamu Mumuchan, Mumuchan and to the officers, lo la Melech of Vado, officer Amalka. It wasn't to the king alone that Vashti did this terrible thing, Kel Kola Amim, to all of the officers and all of the nations, the Shebuchom, Medinos, Melech HaShverush, then all of the kingdoms of the Melech HaShverush. Now, the Gemara tells us that this Mumuchan was actually homon. However, the Gemara says, that a head yot fates barosh, a plain man, will jump to the head. Meaning, of the seven advisors, Haman was not the head advisor. We're now early on in the Maluku, we're in the third year of Achashverush's reign. Haman does not become powerful till many years later. He was an advisor to the king, but he certainly was not the main advisor, and he was just one of many advisors that the king had. So, here he is despite the fact that he's not the main advisor, jumping ahead with with some advice. Now, the Grot tells us that, in fact, the advice that he gave was not only poor advice to Achashverosh, it's advice that Achashverosh should have ignored and none of the Sarim should have listened to. What was Haman's plan? Haman recognized the following. He alone had a problem. Haman had come to power in a way similar to Achashverosh. Part of the great wealth that Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar had hidden on the Euphrates River was discovered by Haman. Haman one time was on the banks of the river and somehow through various hashkacha discovered the great wealth, discovered some of the treasures, and he ascended to power because of that. Now as soon as he became wealthy, he married a very fancy woman from a very royal family, and soon thereafter, he faced a major problem. That major problem was that his wife not only didn't respect him, his wife was mocking him. She said things to him like, well, look what kind of family you're from. You're from the simplest family. You're from a peasant family. Why should I listen to you? Why should I respect you? And Homan faced a major domestic issue. His plan was not only not in Ahasuerus' interest, it was completely in his self-interest. He decided that here was an opportunity for him to gain control over his own house. And in fact, we'll soon see that the entire plot that he lays out was strictly created so that he should be able to rule over his wife. One more step also to keep in mind that we read Pasha Zohar close to Purim because we have a Masorah that Haman is Mizera Amalek. And because he's Mizera Amalek with timche Zohar Amalek close to Purim, in fact, this Mumu Khan, says, is from Ogog, is a descendant of Ogog the king. In any case, he gives he says this advice, Pasu Guzin says, Kiyetsi Dvaramalka Kola the words of the queen will go to all of the women, Lavzos Balihembay Nehem, to embarrass their husbands in their eyes, Ba omram, when they'll say, The king said, Bring Vashtiya in front of him, and she wouldn't come. So Hamid says this is what the various women are gonna say. And the next passage says Vayomaza, in this day Tamona Saros the Saros, the princesses of Parasamade will say, Ashashamu as the Bar heard the word of the king, the to and is going to be a tremendous amount of embarrassment to us. Says the Gro, what he was really saying is that people will no longer refer to the princesses of they will no longer say sorry but they'll start saying soros. the women are going to be in charge what you're going to do is you're going to have a rebellion you're going to bring about an entire women's lib movement over here why? because what will happen is these women will say listen no more powerful man than Nachashverish called his wife and she said I'm in charge so they're going to learn from her and they're going to do the same there's going to be a tremendous amount of embarrassment the next Pesach says as follows, ima melech it's good for the king, yeitzei dva malchus nul the word of the king should go from, from in front of him, Ikasi, bedasei paros and it should be written in the chronicles of paros in the Persian chronicles, v'lo and it should never be changed. a v'ashti lefnei would not come in front of the king hachai u'malchusa and her kingdom, yeitzei melech the king will give to her friend, hatova Memena, who is better than her. Now, please note that what Amun is saying is that it's not just me. What he's stressing over here is that this is a problem. It's not just Ahasuerus a problem. It's not just him, but additionally, all of the people of the land will have the problem. Now, obviously, this wasn't true. Ahasuerus didn't have a problem with his wife. The other Sarim, the other officers of the court, didn't have a problem with his wife. So he's saying words that if you think about it, really don't make a lot of sense. He's saying that everyone's going to have a problem. No one else had a problem except for him. No one had situations where the wife was embarrassing him in front of him. And yet we're going to see in a minute, not only is his advice accepted, but it's received very well. He goes on to say, V'nishma piskan a melech. It should be heard the decree of the king. Yasaba Malhuso it should be done in his entire kingdom, because it 's great All the women should give honour to their husbands, from the smallest to the greatest. This should be the decree that all the women should give honour to their husbands. Now Pas says the words the words of Haman found favor in the eyes of the king and the officers. And the king did as M- Mukhan says, as Homan said. Says the Gra, you see from here one of the amazing steps of Ashkacha, of Hashem being involved in the events. There is no way that the advice of Haman should have been accepted. Not only was it self-interest, it was directly opposed to Ahasuerus' will. What Ahasuerus was looking for was a way to save the queen. For political reasons, because she was the heiress to the dynasty. For personal reasons, because she was beautiful. He, this guy gets up, the last of the advisors gets up, speaks first. Speaks out a problem that he's having. Namely, there'll be a woman rebellion, which is what he's suffering for. He says everyone else is going to have the problem when they don't have the problem. And Vayitav the matter found favor in the king's eyes and in the eyes of all of the Sarim. the Groth says, here is a situation where you see where Hashem changes the nature of people's hearts. And as the Groth says, Mahapech libo sheladom, changes the heart of a person. Because even though it wasn't for their good, they accepted it as a good. And again, this was all done for the Tzarech for be able to kill Vashti so that eventually Esther should be able to ascend to the Malchus. The next passage says, Vayishlach Svarim al s'amelach." They sent out books, they sent out chronicles to all of the kingdoms of the king. El Medina U Medina to each nation in its language. Meaning they sent it out each each Igeris was sent out written in the language of the local custom. Vel Amba Am Kil and each nation in its language, Lios Kolish Bibeso, each man should be the king, should be in charge of his house, umidaber and speak the language of his nation. Again, this was an issue which Homan faced. His wife did not want to speak his language, she wanted to speak her language. And in this igeris he convinced Ahajush to send out this message that each man should be in charge of his house and speak speak the the language of his nation. Says the Gemara Megillah, that it is only because of this Igeris that the Jewish nation remained in existence. Why is that? Because these Igeris, with the official stamp of the king, were sent out to every province, to all homes, and it was publicly proclaimed. The king says, each man should rule over his home, and each man should speak his language in his house. To which all the people in the town then said to themselves, Wait a minute, it's already true. Everyone, the husband, is always the king of his house. We anyway only speak the language of that area. So it, the people said, What a fool this man is. The Gemara says, It is because of this Igeris that the Jewish nation existed. Why? Because it's a famous question that everyone asks. We know a number of years later that the Igeris is sent out. The Igeris to destroy the Jewish people is sent out right around Nisan time. We'll see shortly that that's right around Pesach. Haman sent the, the lots, he spinned the lots, and he found out that the correct time, the most opportune time to kill the Jews, is in fact Yud-Daled However... What happened was he did that in Nisan. The Geras was sent out in Nisan that all the people, all the people in the Persian dynasty have the right to kill out the Jews in Adar. The time between Nisan and Adar is 11 months. That means the Geras were sent out 11 months prior to the actual killing of the Jews. During those 11 months, not a single anti-Semite in the Persian empire killed a Jew. Now by all rights you would assume if Egeris goes out around Pesach time that 11 months from now I want you to stand up and kill every Jew signed by the king certainly some of the people would say listen why wait? Obviously the king says it's okay to kill Jews. Now he said it was to do it in order but there's nothing wrong nobody's going to be upset if we kill a few Jews earlier and let's get to work on it right now that would be the normal course of events under the circumstances because obviously the king says he doesn't care about the Jews. However, not a guy in the land dare pick up a sword against the Jews earlier because of this first egeris. They said, wait a minute. We see this king. He sends out divrei him. He sends out simple words about each man should be the king in his home. Obviously, he's not two together. He's not with the program. Who knows what this fickle king will do. He says now in Nisan, we should go ahead and order 11 months later and kill Jews. Maybe he'll change his mind. Maybe he'll turn around and he'll kill us for it. Therefore, no one dared kill a Jew until the actual time of the final time in order. And prior to that time, in fact, the Xerah was annulled. Therefore, again, the Gemara says that because of this first Igeris, the Jewish nation, in fact, were saved. Let us continue with Perak Beys. The next perech starts as follows. After these matters, when the anger of King Ahasverosh subsided, Zohar is Vashti, he remembered Vashti, and that which she did, and that which was decreed upon her. Says Rashi on this posok, what did he remember? Again, after the matters, he cools down, and remembers Vashti, says Rashi, Zachar es yofya, he remembered her beauty. Meaning, you have to understand, the depth of the relationship was zero. He wasn't interested in Vashti, and apparently, according to Rashi, not even politically. His whole interest, his whole being involved with his wife was because of her beauty, and he was depressed now because he recognized her beauty. And the Posak speaks, That which was decreed upon her. Decreed upon her is, not from man, but from God. And again, that was because she... Vashti was involved in bringing out the Jewish women, and because she brought out the Jewish women, she made the party herself a base malchus, because it at the sudden was given Rashut to be meraked, and that's why it was decreed upon her that she should die. Additionally, Achashverus was involved with the, using the big day kahuna. bottom line is it was a gzera aleha. Vayom runari so the servants of the king said to him, Yivak tovas mare. What the king should do is find many beautiful women, the naris besulos, the virgin women, who are beautiful. Now, let's keep in mind, Achashverosh already had quite a number of wives. They basically said to him, a piece of advice, you're looking, you're depressed, you're, you're broken, because you don't have that beautiful woman. Let's create a beauty, beauty pageant. Send out all the pekidim, Send out offices to all the various cities and provinces, and bring forth the most beautiful women. In fact, Pasuk Gimel says, "By Ifa the king sent out officers to all the nations of his rulership. narab They gathered together all of the women who were virgins, who are beautiful. El to shushan the capital. El to the women's harem." Al gad Sri strisamelach monitored, watched over by Hegei, the officer of the king, shomer noshin, the guardian of the women, venosan to and they were given their oils and their anointments. Says the Gemara, you see the difference between David, the tzaddik, and Achashverosh, the rasha. When David was old, they said yevakshu la nara. They wanted to find a woman to help David clothing no longer worked for him because he cut off the beggar of shawl, he cut off the corner of the garment, so he was no longer able to be warmed by clothing, so his advisors advised, that he should look for a, a woman, a young woman, when this happened, they made an, an announcement, that the king was looking for a bride, they, everyone lined up, to give their daughters over to the king, however says the Gemara, when Ahasuerus announced, when they named, actually announced, in the name of Ahasuerus, that there is going to be a beauty pageant, to bring forth, all beautiful women, bring them forth, all of the, Fathers hid their daughters. Why, says the Gemara? Because the arrangement was very simple. There were going to be hundreds and maybe thousands of women brought to Ahashverush. One of them was to become his wife. One was to become the Malka. What was to happen to all the rest of them? Basically, each one he would live with. But he would live with her one time. If she was selected as a queen, then fine, she became the queen. If not, she was sent to the harem it was not considered appropriate for a woman with whom the king lived to then be able to marry somebody else that was considered a besoin to the king. If you live with a king, you can't live with anybody else. So she remained in the harem the rest of her life, husbandless. Meaning, a father said to himself as follows, I'm going to present my daughter. If he accepts my daughter, she'll be queen. But if not, what's going to happen? He'll live with her one time. For the rest of her life she'll be in Iguna. Meaning she'll be husbandless. She'll be in the harem without a husband, without children, without a family, without anything. Live there as an old maid for the rest of her days. Hence, each father hid their children. And in fact, when the Pasik says, pe-kidim, the king sent out officers, says the Grahi had to send out officers. Why? Because no one was sending their daughters over. They weren't allowing them to go. Therefore, the king had no choice but to send out officers to demand that all the beautiful women be brought to the base of Malchus. goes on to say, tita the young woman who is considered Beautiful in the eyes of the king. Timloch Takaz Vashti will become queen under Vashti. Vayita The manner found favor in the king's eyes, and he did exactly that. Says the Megillah Starm, says the the Nasivis on the Megillah, that this was a major nase. The Gemara tells us that one of the four most beautiful women who ever lived was Esther who was living in Shushan. Here, this Melech sends out Pekidim. He sends out officers to all the various places. And yet, within his own hometown, is the most beautiful woman, one of the four most beautiful women who ever lived. And the Pekidim never ask for her, never bring her in, apparently aren't even aware of her existence. the term says, this was clearly a nace, and really by all rights should not have been. She should have been the first one that should have been brought to the king, and in fact wasn't, only because part of the nase of, of Hashem controlling the events. Pasuk he says, Ishihoodi ayah abira. There was an Ishihoodi in Shushan, the capital. Ushmo Mordechai, his name was Mordechai, Ben Ya'ir, Ben Shimi, Ben Kish, the son of Ya'ir, son of Shimi, son of Kish, Ish Yemini. Now this pasuk is very difficult to read according to simple pshat because number one, this man. Mordechai is called an Ish Yehudi, meaning he's from Shevet Yehuda, and then he's called Ish Yimini from Shevet Binyamin. Now, says Rashi, Ish Yimini was actually his lineage. He was from Shevet Binyamin. Yet he was called Ish Yehudi. Why? Because for the same reason that we are called Ish Yehudi. Rashi explains that the Golas Yehuda, there were two different Goluses. First Yehanya was Nigal, and then later on, many years later, Yehuda. Was Nigga, We were sent into into Gullus. Most of the second Gullus was Shevi Yehuda and a few other Shvatim. But amongst the Goyim we became known as Yehuda, since most of the people were from Shevi Yehuda. We became known as Yehuda. Hence, the expression today of Yehudim or Jew comes from this expression. Even though Yehuda or Yehudi only refers to Shevi Yehuda, since that was the Gullus. This became the name, and he's called Ish Yehudi because of the Sheva Yehuda, the Golos of Yehuda. In any case, he's given quite a number of names here: Ben Ben Shimi, Ben Kish, Ishimini. And the pasuk goes on to say as follows: He was exiled exile from Yishlahim, in in the exile that was exiled in Yehania, Melch Yehuda, with Yehania, the king of Yehuda, Asher Hagla That was I, that was exiled by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Now, the Groh makes an observation about this Pasuk. The word Hegla is mentioned three times, exiled in one Pasuk. Not only that, it says that he was exiled with Yechania, the king of Yehuda. It says to him in Lagon, actually, Mordechai had the distinction that he was exiled three separate times. He was sent into exile the first time, and he came back. He was sent into exile a second time, and he came back. He was sent into exile a third time, and he came back, says the Grodh that shows his chavivas, his love for Eretz each time he came back, and each time he was sent again, and the Apostle is telling us very clearly that expression here. Apostle Zion goes on to say, He Esther. He was the one helping out, in charge of Hadassah, who is Esther, Bas Dodo, the daughter of his uncle, la she had no father or mother, Vanara yafas to'ar v'yafas Vanara, the, Nara, the one, young woman, was beautiful in appearance and beautiful in facial image. at the death of a father and mother, Mordechai lo'levas. Mordechai took her as a Bas. Now, she, Esther, was related to Mordechai. She was a Bas Dodo. The Pesach at the very end tells us... ...Likachol Mordechai Labas... ...that Mordechai took her as a daughter. Is a is in the Gemara... ...where that means literally he took her as a daughter... ...meaning he adopted her as a, a daughter. Or Likachol Labas means he took her as a bias... ...he married her. Rashi on the Megillah assumes that... ...Peshachat is he married her. And in fact there's at least the full Tzad... ...to say that Mordechai was married to Esther... ...and she was an Esh at the time. In any case the Pesach is very clear that she was yifas toar v'tovas mare, which refers to two different attributes. Yifas toar means she had a beautiful image. A toar is an image, v'tovas mare, and it was not only was a facial image, is beautiful, the whole complete image was beautiful. And again, she was a remarkably beautiful woman. And again, that's what the the Tom tells us, one of the great Nisim, is that she wasn't taken earlier. V'hi, Shama d'var melch when it was, when the word of the king was heard, when many, many women were brought to Shushanabiru Al Hagai on the hand of Hagai Esther Esther was taken to the king's harem Hagai Shomer Hanoshim. Through Hagai the Shomer Hanoshim. Says the Vilna Goan, this is the point where this story changes. Basically, the Pasik says the word of the king was heard, people came to Ahashvairus and said, You're making a total blunder. You're searching for all the beautiful women in the world. The most beautiful woman is right here in Shushan. Why are you searching? Why are you looking all around? Right here in Shushan is the most beautiful woman right here. When he heard that, that's when they sent the Pekidim. Because until this time Esther was able to hide herself. But once that message came, Esther was no longer able to hide herself. Now we'll see throughout the Megillah, every step of the way... Esther does everything in her power to make sure that she's not taken to the base of Malchus. The pasuk says as follows: Once she is brought to Haggai's shomer noshim, pasuk says, "Vatita The nara Esther found great favor in Haggai's eyes. Haggai was the one in charge of the harem. She also found favor in front of him. He he quickly, Bezriza says Rashi, he quickly brought over all of her oils and anointments, Vasmanasa Lasisla, and the gifts that were given to her. or and the seven young women who were fit to serve her, from the king's Melech, and he changed what was normally should have be been given and her naris, to be the best. The simple reading of the is she found great favor in Haggai's eyes and he gave her the best maidservants and the best manoseh and the best presents. Says the Vilnagon that actually what's going on is again part of the great nace of the story. She kept Shabbos and kosher in the Beis HaMalchus. Unbeknownst to Haggai, she was Jewish. Haggai gave her the seven women, unbeknownst to Haggai, that she being Jewish, she gave him seven Jewish maidservants to serve her. He gave her food, and unbeknownst to him, he gave her food that ended up being kosher. He also gave her hasach as an advisor. Hasach, the Gmar tells us, is daniel. Basically, she kept Shabbos, she kept kosher, she kept all of the mitzvahs in the base of Malchus, all the while unbeknownst to the kingdom that she is a Jewess. Part of the nace again, was the fact that he provided all these things without knowing it. And secondly, despite the fact that she was keeping all the mitzvahs, no one knew that she was Jewish at the time. Pasuk Yud says, <laughs> Esther did not tell over her nation or her birthright. <laughs> because Monachai commanded her not to tell. Now, the Pasuk is very clear that Morchai told her not to tell. And Rashi explains to us, why is it? Because Mordechai was doing everything in his power to ensure the fact that she gets out of the of Malchus. Let's keep in mind, according to at least one Mandam in the Gemara, she's an Eshis Ish. She's married to Mordechai. But even if she's not, even if Mordechai only was Lokachol Labas, even if Mordechai only took her as a daughter, he's still a goy. You have a Jewish woman who's taken as a captive against her will potentially to marry a goy So Mordechai does everything in his power to ensure the fact that Ahasuerus will not marry this woman. So what does he do? He says, do not mention your birthright. Why is that? Because Esther was from base Shaul HaMelech. Esther was from royalty. Typically a king will only want to marry from a royal family... Mordechai said, don't say where you're from. They'll assume you're from a mishpachas bezuyeh. They'll assume you're from a lowly nation. Don't dare say you're from Sholomelech, because if you say you're from Sholomelech, they'll right away jump on it as an opportunity to grab you. They'll want you more. Mordechai did everything to tell her to get out of the palace. Despite that fact, Pesach says as follows, yom each and every day, Mordechai would walk in front of the courtyard of the women's harem, to know the peace of Esther, to know what's happening with her, and what will be done with her. Rashi on this passage says a very interesting thing, that Mordechai was one of two Siddikim who were given a remez Yeshua, who were given a sign that a great salvation was going to come for them. Those two Siddikim are Dovid and Mordechai. Dovid says Rashi, <clears throat> what happened to David was, he was walking in the woods one day, and he was attacked by a mountain lion. And he was victorious. He beat single-handedly, and I believe it was even without weapons, he was able to kill a mountain lion. Then he was later walking, and he was attacked by a dove, he was attacked by a bear, and again he beat the bear. Right after that was the whole event of Goliath. Right after that, Goliath laid out his challenge against the Jewish nation. No single warrior from the Jewish nation had the courage to fight Against him, David Melach said, Why did Hashem send the bear? Why did Hashem send the lion as a simmon that I will have just like I destroyed them, so too I will destroy Goliath. That was a remish Yeshua. He took it as a sign that Hashem will save him from Goliath and apparently that gave him the courage to stand forth and actually kill Goliath. So too, Rashi tells us, Mordechai also had a simon Yeshua, had a sign that is going to be a great salvation. He said to himself as follows, Why is it that this great Sadekis, Esther should be taken to live with a nochri, to live with a guy. It obviously is a sign, it's obviously a sign that a great salvation will come to Israel. Therefore, Rashi says, that's what the Apostle is telling us. He went in front, each and every day, in front of the chotzer he went in front of the king's harem every day to know Ladas, Ashlom Esther, because he knew that a great Yeshua, a great salvation, was going to come to the Jewish people through Esther. Now the Reshiva asked a kasha, almost a stira between these two Rashi's. Apparently Rashi and Pasek Yud just told us that Mordechai did everything in his power to get Esther out of the base of Malchus. He said, don't say which royal family you come from, and we'll see later on. He gave other advice to ensure the fact that Esther is thrown out of the monarchy, out of the palace. Yet here Rashi is saying that he had a simon Yeshua. If this woman is taken to live with the guy, It's obviously a sign that Hashem is going to bring a salvation for the whole Jewish nation. So, if it's a sign that Hashem is bringing a salvation for the Jewish nation through this woman, what are you doing everything in your power to get her out of the base of malchus? It sounds like you're working against Hashem's plan. So, Rashi answered that this is one of the das Torah concepts that Hashem has His system and we have our job. Our job is to follow Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch says if a woman, a Jewish woman, is taken captive, we have to do everything in our power to get her out of that dangerous situation. All the while knowing that if in fact she's taken, Hashem has a master plan, Hashem has a bigger picture and wants her to be there to save the Jewish nation. But that's Hashem's and I have no right to enter into those thought processes, even if I know it. Even if I know it Even if I, it, even if I have a remez, that's Hashem's geshef. That's the way Hashem runs the world. I have to act with Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch. says clearly that if a Jewish woman is captured, I have to do everything in my power to free her. And in fact, that's why Mordechai did everything he could to get her out. For more information about the Faris B'nai Torah and the Shmooz, or to listen to the Shmooz online, please visit us at www.theshmooz.com or call 1-866-613-TORAH.